welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church, right in central Pennsylvania, uh, specifically Paxinos, Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so happy that uh, you've tuned in to the Ministry Minded Podcast, specifically Pastor Brad's Corner, a segment of this show where I like to uh, reflect on some sermons, reflect on some things that I've just been uh, chewing on more. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of remind you and the listeners um, every week, well not every week, because uh, I wasn't able to do it last week, which I'm going to get to in a second, but um, I, I, I just kind of reminding you what the uh, sort of impetus is for for this show, specifically Past Brad's Corner. It's just a time where I can reflect on more of the things that I've been studying. Um, and, you know, because there's this there's this sort of ironic dilemma, I think, so to speak, where, um, you know, myself as a pastor, and all pastors, I'm sure, would would likely um, reiterate the same sorts of things. But uh, as a pastor, uh, I am doing a lot of studying and preparation for a sermon that will last, you know, between 30 and 40 minutes. Uh, hopefully, I, I don't go too far over that. Um, but uh, no, um, but it and many of the times uh, the things that I'm studying don't actually end up in the sermon and uh, it's not it's just the nature of the beast so to speak but I love to just let some of these ideas ruminate a little bit more even after the sermon is over uh, because of course the the, the truths that I'm uh, um, praying to convey are not truths that I have come up with they're truths that I pray that the spirit has directed me and uh, led me into articulating um and so that's really the impetus behind this little show. Just wanted to not just give more life to these sermons that I've delivered, but also just give more life to the truth that I pray is delivered in these sermons. And uh, that's what I'm going to attempt to do this week. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, um, I wasn't able to do uh, a show last week, and I apologize for that. It was just one of those weeks that just got way ahead of me, <laughs> and so I I got way behind, and so there was no there was no show last week. But I wanted to get one out for you today, uh, especially because one of the first things I want to update you on is that I'm going to be traveling this weekend. So um, I wanted to make sure I get a show out for you, have one that you guys can listen to and that you can hopefully enjoy. Uh, I'll be traveling this weekend. I have been asked by one of my beloved friends, a friend that I grew up with all throughout uh, my teenage years, and even before that, actually. Uh, his name is Caleb. He's a pastor in Illinois, and he's getting ordained this weekend. Um, and uh, he asked me to be on his ordination council, which I'm so thrilled and excited to do. So if you're listening to this later on Friday, or you're listening to this on Saturday, perhaps uh, I will already be there and in, in kind of enjoying the festivities, so to speak. Uh, but anyways, that's where I'm going to be, but uh, I wanted to get this out to you. But I also wanted to sort of change how I operate on these shows. Um, as you know, originally, if you go back to the one of the very first editions of Pastor Brad's Corner, you'll notice that I I quickly I was doing a different segment on the blog that I kind of transmuted and put into this show, which I like this format a lot better. But you know, as these things these things are organic, it's 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 sort of something that I'm always learning, something that I'm always going to be tweaking in, in some sorts of ways. Uh, and so, what I want to introduce this week, and just you can leave your feedback and let me know if you like it. 
Um, let me know if it helps you kind of navigate the show or whatever. But I'm going to sort of introduce show segments. And so I will introduce um, different little segments where I'm just going to entitle them. Uh, what did I preach on? What am I reading? What has been helpful? And what should you remember? Just little things that can help you stimulate and help you remember where you sort of are in the show, so to speak. But anyway, so uh, just little snippets. That way it'll help me organize these shows a little bit easier. And it'll allow you also to... Um, know where we are uh, in the show, so to speak, and it's not just me rambling, which many times it's it's me rambling, but I hope you don't mind. Uh, I enjoy being able to think out loud, so I appreciate you for giving me the space to do that, um, being afforded the space to think out loud and to process. That's really what to circle back, to go back to what I was talking about at the beginning, it's it's processing the truth that has been relayed and been conveyed and, and reprocessing it again. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of the benefit is, a lot of the growth is, at least for me. Uh, if anything else, I'm growing from uh, being able to um, chew on some of these themes and ideas and concepts and truths. And, and I, I, I pray uh, that you are as well. So, Without further ado, uh, first segment, what did I preach on? So wait, there's two weeks worth of, of sermons that I want to quickly recap, and there's one that I want to uh, focus a little bit more on than the others, but... Um, so on August 30th, uh, in the morning, I continued uh, my sermon series through Ecclesiastes. Uh, I was in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We were going through uh, really the more specific sort of listing of things that Solomon tries Solomon tries out to sort of give him pleasure, give him lasting enjoyment and peace, uh, something that is abiding. That's really been the theme throughout these sermons that I've been trying to develop which is that Solomon's motivations are pretty much solely about finding something abiding. And so he goes to being entertained. He goes to trying buying stuff. He goes to trying to uh, find out everything through his own wisdom and discernment. He goes to trying to achieve all of these sorts of impossible things with building projects and whatnot. And what you have to realize is that he comes away from all of that still on the search for something that will fill him, something that will finally fit in to the void that he feels in his soul. And uh, reading Ecclesiastes, I really think Ecclesiastes 2, and I'll just jump into it now because this past Sunday, September 6th, I preached on Ecclesiastes 3. And so... um, uh, that was uh, another uh, continuing in that same series. But I think that there's really something to be said um, about these two chapters, which is the fact that I think that they're some of the most important in Ecclesiastes itself. Um, in Ecclesiastes 2, he's dealing with all of these things that don't give him lasting purpose and meaning and hope and joy and all those sorts of things. And then he has to come to this realization where he, if you read chapter 3 right after that, and why it, why is that the case? Why is it that all of these things don't give him what he is longing for, it's it comes. He comes right out and says it because everything changes. <laughs> uh, in Ecclesiastes three, he begins with that poem, which I'm sure that you are familiar with in some sort of context. Um, but it's a time, f- a time for this and a time for that, and a time for we 
sleeping, a time for laughing. All the, he goes through all those different opposites, those different uh, sort of ends of each spectrum, and his his whole point through that is to almost come it well, almost is to come to the conclusion that everything is changing and everything is changing to such a degree that he has no ability to stop it from changing and what he has to realize the point that i was really it, 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 trying to drive home throughout that sermon and really i see these sermons going together i see them both on equal planes so to speak in terms of their significance to the overall uh sermon series through ecclesiastes is the fact that everything is changing you can't stop it from changing but there is one who is ordaining all the change uh, we uh, 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 he says there that we don't know the end from the beginnings i think that's ecclesiastes 3 11 and the whole sort of the through line the point uh, that's sort of in between the lines so to speak is that there is one who does know the ends from the beginnings there's one who has appointed everything for its specific season for its specific time you know, where he says at the beginning, Ecclesiastes 3, 1, that there is a, there's a, a time for everything under the sun. It, there's an appointed season. There's one who has ordained this to hit the calendar. Think about that. Think about that fact with the, the, the current state of affairs that our country finds itself in. It doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem likely that that God would leave us to a time such as this. And yet, what is the lesson? My times are in your hands, as David says in Psalm 31, 15. And that our duty, our sort of, our only task that Solomon even comes to. Solomon comes to this at the end of Ecclesiastes 2 and at the end of Ecclesiastes 3. If you remember, he comes to sort of the same conclusion in both instances, which is there's nothing better than for a man to... Uh, live in the present and enjoy the good gifts that God has given him. And why can he do that? Because he knows that the future is already settled. You see, if you think that the future is not settled, if you think that the future is sort of in the balance, that there's something that has to happen in order for all of the good things that you think have been promised to will actually come about, if you think that that is sort of still hanging loose and open-ended, then you're go not going to be able to live in the present. You're not going to be able to enjoy the things that God has given you. And the whole point of that is, if you think that you need to get something for yourself under the sun, you're going to be living that way. You're going to be living a frustrated life, a life that's full, as Solomon uses throughout this uh, book. Uh, you're going to be living a life of vanity, of vexation of spirit, of chasing after wind. You know, there's another way of, of translating that vexation of spirit. There's, it's almost like you're chasing a bubble. <laughs> chasing a bubble is really futile. You know, I was blowing bubbles the other day with my son and my daughter in the backyard, and it was so funny to watch him try and catch a bubble uh, because it's this almost magical, winsome thing. You know, you blow a bubble and it's this pocket of air that's floating through the air, and he's watching it and he's trying to grab it, and as soon as he touches it, it pops. And I think that is that's such a perfect picture of what life is like 
so long as we think we are the ones who make life happen. You know, there's a point in which we tend to do that by trying to, as Solomon does in Ecclesiastes 2, by going to all of these different vats of of pleasure and meaning. He goes to the big vat of entertainment, and he goes to the big vat of achievement. He goes to all of these different avenues in order to find the thing that will, quote, make life livable, and he finds all of those avenues dead ends. He finds them all blind blocking him from ever finding what he wants, from ever finding what he's looking for. And if you think that you are the one who make life happen, then trying to live in the present that's filled with constant change is going to be so incredibly distressing and frustrating and stressful that you will never ever be able to enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. And such is Solomon's point, that Enjoying the present is not some sort of of disregard of eternity. Actually, it's those who enjoy the present under the auspices of the fact that the that the future is settled are those who can enjoy the present all the more. If you are redeemed, if you're listening to this and you have been covered under the blood of Christ, the future is settled for you. The future has already been determined. This is not some sort of determinism thing where it doesn't matter then what we do or whatever. It doesn't really, there's no responsibility. What I mean by that is the whole sort of eschaton, the, the sort of end of all things, that's already written. It's written in Jesus' blood. He won. He's the king. Everything is going to happen according to his purpose and plan. This is the cause for fulfillment and enjoyment and actually peace. Trying to search for those things on your own, trying to make those things possible on your own, that's where you get into frustration and struggle and strife. The point I was making in those sermons coming in tandem is that the beauty of life comes when we understand that our times are in God's hands. He is the one who is over them all. And it reminds me, it reminds me of that wonderful verse. I'm going to get my Bible out so I can read it and read it verbatim. Uh, It was the verse that I mentioned in my sermon on Sunday. This, I think, is sort of the lesson of, of all of life. What is the lesson? Isaiah of Psalm 4610, stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. <laughs> Stop your fighting. Or as you likely know the translation, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be still from your searching. Be still from your struggling and striving. Be still and know that there is a God who is above all of the times, who has ordained all of the seasons, who has orchestrated and has his fingerprints in all of the changing uh, winds and changing seasons and changing times. There is one who is above it all and in it all and sovereign over it all. And this is our assurance. This is our confidence. This is our rest. This is what leads us and allows us to enjoy the present with so much more enjoyment than anyone else could ever possibly imagine. 
all we have to do in this present life is to tend the things that we've been given. Um, and that's where uh, I got to, <laughs> this is one of those times where I got to really just, I got such a thrill out of this this particular moment in in this sermon because and it's an illustration that I've used several times. It's this incredible passage from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. And if you remember The Lord of the Rings and whatever your feelings on it, I loved The Lord of the Rings. They are such incredible stories that have such lasting impact. But it, I can't help but read Ecclesiastes 2 and 3 Read the fact that all of these times are out of our hands and not and not read Gandalf's line that that's okay. All that we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us, as Gandalf says. It's such a good line. It's a good line in the story. It's a good line, I think, even out of the story. And that's what, again, what makes Lord of the Rings so transcendent, is that it has meaning outside of just the individual, specific, particular context in which those events are happening. And that's that's sort of the point that I see Solomon making. All we have to do is decide what, what to do, what we're going to do with the time that is given to us. Are we going to waste our life by trying to find something that's already been given to us in Christ? Or are we going to enjoy the things that Christ has given to us by reverencing him, knowing that he's, hold, he's holding eternity in his hands, that he has orchestrated it all, he's above it all, he's sovereign through it all. This is the way to live in the present, in this life. It's, it's hard. It's hard knowing that everything is out of your hands. It's hard knowing that we cannot change the seasons. We cannot change the times. We cannot effect change on our times. That's, that's not our task. That's not our duty. That's not our calling. And it's, it's a hard thing to come to grips with. Because we like to be the ones in control. And Solomon, through all of this, what is the through line? We are not in control. We're not in control. As much as we strive to be that way, we're not. <laughs> we're not in control at all. Not in the slightest. I, I hope that you uh, will listen to those two sermons I am, I'm really loving the series through Ecclesiastes. It's one of the ones that I, I was wanting to do it for so long ever since I've been here at Stonington Baptist Church, and I'm so thrilled that I get to do it uh, now, preach through Ecclesiastes. It's one of my favorite books because it has so much resonance and relevance and meaning to where we are right now. Um, but again, uh, so go into the links to this podcast and you'll find the Stonington Baptist Church Sermons uh, podcast, which you can listen to sermons from all the past weeks and you can catch up on my sermon series through Ecclesiastes. I want to jump now to uh, the evening, the evening sermon of September 6th, this past Sunday, because I want to go back and talk about the evening sermon on August 30th for just a little bit uh, longer. But uh, anyways, this past Sunday evening sermon, I was in Ephesians chapter 5, preaching on a sermon about sort of the light and how we as Christians walk as children of light, as Paul says there in Ephesians 5 verse 8, and what that looks like. And I took the sort of impetus of 
and the metaphor of light and use that as sort of how to talk about this. And because Paul is describing all of this evidences and all of these moments of, of darkness that are just surrounding this church at Ephesus. And um, it's a really key passage to um, to keep in the back of your head because it is so, I think, relevant to where we are and he because he's talking about how all of this darkness is all around them it's surrounding them and he's talking about uh, to be watchful to be wary don't partner don't join in their darkness and he, but he's also giving them the same call at the same time to enter into that darkness because they are walking into it as yes children of light and they're there to reprove they're there to uh, to exhort they're there to reveal the light of the world and uh, I I I hope you'll listen to that sermon. It's one that I think is so, so relevant to where we are, to to where the church is, um, to where I think sometimes we find ourselves. We're surrounded by darkness, and sometimes we're tempted to uh, to sort of turn our light dim, so to speak. And that really goes into what I think Paul is saying in this passage. His, his charge is don't let your light go dim, and don't let your light get used to the dark. Uh, actually, to carry the metaphor all the way through, <laughs> I think what Paul is saying there, let's turn up the brightness of our walk, of our walk as children of light. And um, I hope you listen to that one. That's in the, the notes as well. The one I wanted to, to focus on just a little bit more was a sermon I preached on August 30th because I was in 2 Timothy chapter 1, which I've been through before when I was preaching through the uh, through the, the pastoral epistles, but I wanted to, to, to hearken back to it in a way because I, I, I wanted to sort of convey some of the things that I have sort of are either articulated privately or just subliminally tried to emphasize throughout my ministry. But I wanted to sort of openly and publicly say these are the things that I am not going to shy away from. Uh, this is I was kind of motivated to do this um, out of the text because, as Paul says in Second Timothy one thirteen and fourteen, he's talking about holding fast to the sound words, the sound words that Timothy has been given by Paul by Christ, and so. Uh, using that as sort of this motivation to be resolved. I also then was inspired by uh, Jonathan Edwards, which I'll put a link to this in the notes as well, his uh, resolutions, which if you've never read Jonathan Edwards's resolutions, I highly recommend that you do. These are uh, affirmations on various devotional and doctrinal um, truths that he resolved <laughs> to uh, have define him and define his ministry, define his life. And um, they're incredibly humbling, incredibly motivating, and incredibly encouraging and convicting too. Uh, what is so fascinating about them, though, if you read them, um, you will see how he is constantly returning to them over and over again. He is continually going to them to try to uh, make this sort of change that he's looking for um, in his life. And I, I think that um, 
the the fact that Edwards was writing this when he was nineteen is is so is is well it's it's humbling and it's awe inspiring. But anyway, so I was inspired to write down these resolutions and sort of what I'm not going to do seventy, but I'm going to do the the three that I. Uh, relayed in my sermon. Uh, not 73. Uh, that's all I can come up with. Uh, no, that's not all I can come up with, but uh, three resolutions um, that I pray to de- defines my, my own ministry and uh, I, my church as well. Uh, the first one was, I resolve to zealously resist the temptation to resort to a gimmicky presentation of God's good news. Number two, I resolve to diligently fight the urge to deem my ministry successful based on man's metrics of success. And number three, I resolve to stubbornly exposit the scriptures with an ethic of the gospel in which the sinner is utterly exposed and the Savior is forever exalted. And those might seem wordy, um, those might seem uh, esoteric in some ways, but I don't think that they are. Um just circling back, the first one is, I think, so important. Uh, this idea that we have to change uh, or change our methodology in order to uh, get people into church. We have to sort of resort to some sort of gimmick that becomes our identity, so to speak, as an assembly. Um, it becomes something in which we uh, we find ourselves kind of trying to change with the times uh, to um, to harken back to what we talked about earlier. Um, and I think that there is such there's such a temptation to do that. When you're not seeing people come in the church or you're not feeling as if people are resonating, there's a temptation to um, to change uh, how you are going about this thing called ministry in order to get those sort of desired ends that you want. Which also leads me to the second resolution that I, that I reiterate there, is I'm not going to base my ministry... Uh, on sort of the measure of how man measures success. You know, they measure it by numbers, they measure it by returns on investment, they measure it on all these sorts of uh, quantifiable measures. You know how God measures success? He measures it by faith. And faith is really hard to quantify and measure. And I'm, I'm not saying that we don't need to have uh, checks and balances on what we're doing in ministry. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that uh, any of those things are wrong. I'm saying those things make terrible gods. Those things make terrible things to base your ministry around. If you're living for numbers, you're going to be disappointed in ministry. If numbers are your ministerial identity and calling and motivation, you will be disappointed. It's a fact. Because, going back, we can't change the seasons. We can't change the times. That's not the point. You know what the point is? The point is faith. The point is faithfulness in the midst of those seasons. So, whether we are a church that's going through a downturn, a down season, a season in which we are seeing people leave or go away, Maybe, as Solomon says, it's a time to let those things go. Or maybe we're in a season of abundant growth and we're bringing in people in droves. That's a season to rejoice, knowing that both seasons are appointed by God and are 
responsibility. My, I feel as my responsibility as the pastor in those seasons is not to change the message. It's to hold fast the form of sound words. Let me get to that verse. That that. So I'll I'll just reiterate again. This is Second Timothy chapter one verse thirteen. This is in the Christian Standard Bible. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in faith, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This was Paul's commission to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, hold to the pattern of sound words. Don't worry about chasing relevant. Don't worry about trying to secure for yourself a return on your ministerial investment. Don't worry about trying to uh, turn to some cutesy gimmicky thing in order to get the results that you want. Hold fast to the form of sound words. Hold fast to the the doctrine of Christ crucified. Hold fast to the gospel of Jesus' forgiveness. Those, that's, that's the good deposit. When he says there, guard the good deposit, I read that verse and I'm so moved and motivated and, yes, even convicted too. Because so many are not guarding it. They're letting it pass them by. They are uh, allowing other things to enter into their souls to teach something different, which is why I I made the third resolution in my sermon. I I don't want to preach anything else other than Jesus. I think expositional preaching is biblically ordained preaching. It's the God-ordained method of exposing the Savior Jesus does it in Luke 24. Philip does it in Acts 8. Paul calls for it in 2 Corinthians 1. It's the methodical explanation of God's redemption of sinners throughout all the pages of Scripture. This is what we are to hold fast to. Trying to make our church relevant, trying to use some gimmick to get people in, it's it's. it's it's going to be a tired method. Tomorrow, that's going to be an irrelevant method. You know what doesn't change? You know what has staying power? It's Jesus's passion and death. And that is why I think Jesus's passion and death are to be the sum and substance of every single sermon, every single ministerial endeavor. Those, uh, uh, th- that is the good news that people need. Th- those are my resolutions. It's resolution to hold fast to the form of sound words because you know why I can say that? Because I know that Jesus is holding me fast. I don't have to chase relevance, which leads me to a great article, which is why I wanted to spend some time talking about this sermon is because there's a great article that I that I was using a sort of preparation. I didn't really use much from it in terms of the actual uh, sermon manuscript, so to speak, but um, it, it's an article by Brett McCracken over on the Gospel Coalition. The link is in the description. Um, cool Christianity is still a bad idea, as he says. And he talks about one of these, uh, one of the books that he wrote several years ago, sort of identifying this sort of hipster Christianity, this cool Christianity, so to speak. Uh, but he articulates so well exactly what I'm talking about, about staying true to the form, the the pattern of sound teaching. 
And he says in there, Brett actually writes this, quote, preaching for applause, clicks, and street cred with a particular tribe almost always leads to theological distortion. And I think that's <laughs> so true. As soon as you change how you're preaching in order to get that applause, to get these clicks, to get a good return on investment that you're making in ministry, to get something that lets you know that you're, quote, successful, it'll always lead to a distortion of the theology of the gospel. And I think that's what Paul is, is saying to Timothy. Hold fast. Don't let anything else get in the way. Don't let anything else uh, sort of uh, invade or infect your exposition of Scripture to the people to which you have been called. Hold fast to sound words. That's my resolution. Uh, and that's what I preached on in the last four weeks. I hope you will go and listen to all those sermons. Uh, they're in the uh, link below, uh, Stonington Baptist Church sermons. You can find the podcast there and listen to any sermon that you like. You can look through all of the past archives. Before we get to the last couple segments of the show, I want to take a quick, uh, a quick break uh, to talk about the show's sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to Central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Okay, so we're back, and um, so the last couple segments of the show that I want to go through a little bit quicker uh, than I did on those sort of sermon recaps um, is this. So the next segment is, what am I reading? Uh, I want to share occasionally some helpful things that I'm reading, um, specifically book-related, and these are not going to be necessarily things that I'm reading for my, my sermons, um, but just things that I'm reading in general. The first one is David Murray's, excuse me while I get it, David Murray's Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. And this is an incredibly practical book that David Murray writes, talking through and talking about his own experiences as a minister in dealing with burnout and dealing with a time when he 
had a breakdown, so to speak. And so uh, reading this book is so incredibly incisive. He talks about how we as ministers and even anyone in general can feel, but he's specifically writing to pastors, can feel this sort of drive and urge to have all of these things accomplished in our own timing, in our own way, in our and in our own ability. And he's writing about how pastors specifically, but anyone in ministry especially, need to take a step back, to take a breather, to take a reset, to remember how to live, a, yes, a grace-paced life in a culture that thrives on busyness. Uh, he articulates some incredible things throughout this book. So I'm reading that one. It's really helpful. The other one that I have picked up and I've immediately just began devouring is Dane Ortland's uh, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Uh, I put a link to both of these in the notes below. I hope and I pray that you will uh, get this book. Dane Ortland is writing such... The word that I just keep coming back to is that it's so refreshing. Uh, it's a refreshing just... Medit- there, it's, it's filled with short meditations on the heart of Christ. And it, it's good that they're short, but they're also dense because they provide a lot of things that we can benefit from. But it's good also, too, that um, they are short because you can digest them. You can uh, easily get through uh, one of these little meditations and feel so full and refreshed and uh, reinvigor- reinvigorated by this incredible uh, reflection on Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm only on like chapter 8 out of 23, and it's easily one of my favorite books that I've read this year, uh, and actually one of my favorite books I've read in the past several years. Um, so definitely, definitely pick uh, one of those up. I hope you will find those enjoyable. Uh, that's what, I've, what I'm reading. What has been helpful recently? Uh, well, uh, this is a, a different way of taking this sort of segment, but I recently got around to watching the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks. Um, and what a what a sweet little movie. Um, it, one, number one, I love watching movies. I love watching movies with Tom Hanks. He's one of the best actors who's ever been around. And he just plays Mr. Rogers in such an incredible way. It's like you're watching Mr. Rogers come to life. And that's one of the most incredible aspects about this movie is that the whole movie is sort of uh, edited and cut in a way in which it feels like you're watching an hour and a half long version of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So I would highly recommend that movie. It is, it is, so it, it has a lot of heart to it. It doesn't present necessarily anything that is incredibly profound. Um, but for Perhaps some who have have never who didn't grow up maybe watching Mr. Rogers faithfully. This is an incredible way to introduce them to this character, uh, because Tom Hanks plays him to a T. He plays him uh, so well, and uh, I was I was enthralled with this movie. Watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I'll put a trailer in the link below, and you can you can enjoy that. It's 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 a really good really good movie that I would highly recommend. It's one that you can watch with the family. It's one that has a lot of it has a lot of depth to it, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, what should you remember? Well, this is a time where I'll either give uh, another little closing note 
uh, or a quote that I have really been digging, so to speak. Um, and this quote comes from Robert Capon's Parables of the Kingdom. Uh, the, his Parables of the Kingdom is the last book in the trilogy that I had to read uh, in his trilogy of parable books, the Parables of Grace, the Parables of Judgment, and the Parables of the Kingdom. But I finally finished that uh, this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to get this quote out because I love it. And I, I'll, I'll try to explain it when I'm done. Reading. So this is Robert Capon. This is what you should remember. Remember, quote, the Bible is not a collection of discrete passages, each of which has only the single meaning it possesses in its isolated spot. Rather, it is the vast and unified work of a genius of an author who is constantly cross-referencing himself. Like a first-rate novelist, the Holy Spirit buries bones all over the place. Early on, for example, he sneaks in a slain animal that protects the Israelites from the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Later, when he is heading for the grand finale, he digs up that bone and turns it as the paschal lamb into the very crux of his story. I love this quote because it it goes along so well with what I've been learning in seminary right now, which is I've been going through the Pentateuch and the old books, the first books of the Old Testament, and seeing all of these uh, hints and shadows, <laughs> uh, all of these sort of buried bones of the Paschal Lamb, the true and better Paschal Lamb, which is Christ the Lord. And I love how Capon is articulating that this is all done by the Spirit, by the by the Spirit on purpose. <laughs> yes, it is very much on purpose to give us a hint that all throughout the pages of Scripture, there has been another story going on, a story that has been going on right under our noses. And that's why it's so pivotal to look at Scripture through those lenses, the lenses of finding Christ, because He is there. Uh, He's the one who uh, this is all pointing to, which is to say, like he says it, there is a single meaning that those passages have, but there's also another meaning those, those passages have, which is to point us to Jesus. What should you remember? There are buried bones of Christ all over the Bible. And that's how we should read it. And that's what will make our devotions come alive. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I hope you've really enjoyed this show. It's been a blessing to be back in your ear holes, <laughs> and I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope you're encouraged uh, by this show. If you are, just leave me a comment leave, or shoot me an email. I'd love to connect with you. You can subscribe to the show if you aren't already on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or any other place where you get your podcast, and uh, I hope that you will. I appreciate all of your encouragement and support and prayers. I will see you on the next episode. Blessings. Blessings.